Welcome back, everybody. I'm spooked today because we're talking about research. This is the Buzzword Podcast. I'm Bobby, and I'm joined by Bo. Hey, guys. What's up, everyone? How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of Buzzwords. And today we are drinking coffee because it's the middle of the day and we're not alcoholics. There you go. I'll drink to that. Oh, it's so hot. Great. Well, uh, why don't you run me through, you know, your experiences with research over the years? So research is something that I think every medical student considers and many do pursue because I think most people listening to this podcast are likely past the first two years. I'll kind of go over that quickly, but came into medical school, like I said, in the previous episode of the podcast, if you haven't checked it out, it's a good one. It's all about kind of choosing a specialty and and the thought process behind that. But in that podcast kind of explained how I went in kind of undecided, thought about ophthalmology among surgical specialties. And ultimately uh, during my first year, I decided to pursue some research and I actually found an endocrinologist who was very enthusiastic and welcomed me into her little clinical research group. How did I find that group? I went on to clinicaltrials.gov, put in my institution's name and just kind of kept scrolling and looked at all the different studies and tried to find something that I was moderately interested in at least. I think that's uh, one good tip is just to find something that that you would consider fun or something that you consider interesting. So I stumbled across her project. It was something along the lines of technology and metabolic disease. And it was all about using smartphones and Fitbits and scales and monitoring people's lifestyles and using Instagram to monitor food intake. And it was just a cool, I guess, cool accumulation of research with social media and technology. So I thought that was a sweet project, joined it. It took probably 10 to 15 hours a week of my time. So it was a lot of weekend stuff. It was a lot of talking to patients, fixing their devices, um, a lot of you know data gathering but ultimately a good experience, learned a lot about endocrinology. So positive experience, that was year one. And I guess my one takeaway from that is if you are listening to this and you're just starting med school or you're in your first year or even you know your first two years, uh, think about what you would enjoy, but also think about what you might be considering doing. Like I, I was pretty sure I, I didn't want to do endocrinology. I didn't know for sure, but it wasn't on the top of my list. So looking back, maybe it would have been smarter to pursue something that was aligned with my ultimate goal of residency, like uh, for example, ophthalmology, because it is hyper-competitive and having research in that field would be very helpful. I won't say that random research isn't helpful because I do think there's value in just having experience that is broad and diverse. And I think people probably value that, that like if you're applying to Durham, it's not all just Durham research. I mean, maybe that's great, but I think if I was in, you know, a committee member and saw that this person did endocrinology research and psych research and neurosurgery research, and oh, this guy's kind of diverse. He, he likes to explore his options, blah, blah, blah. So that was my first year, endocrinology research. I went into the summer, no research, enjoyed the summer. A lot of my peers did a lot of bench work that, you know, did those classic like one to two month projects, got like a poster from it. Um, I would argue that most people didn't really like that, but we can talk about that later. Um, I found that since I did so much first year, I could actually take the summer to enjoy. And then second year, I did a little bit the first couple of months, but ultimately decided to focus on step. In the future, once step one becomes pass fail, which we could probably make another video about, I think that that dynamic might change and people might spend extra time doing things like research and extracurriculars to make themselves hyper competitive since the step one grade no longer really matters. And then kind of the meat of it, I'm rambling now, but the meat of it, and this is what I think is most important, is third year, you have a lot of extra time. Uh, it doesn't seem like it all the time, but I think, uh, at least compared to the first two years, you're not constantly having to study. And so what I did the first uh, part of third year was just explore, uh, not really know, I didn't really uh, approach anybody regarding research. I did get some people that approached me, such as like program directors, for example, one program director of urology said, hey, you're a good medical student. If you're interested in urology, I have some research projects. And I kind of just said like, oh, I, I'm not entirely sure yet. But like halfway between, halfway uh, along third year, I started getting involved in some psychiatry research because I thought, again, that's where I was going to go. And then ultimately, by the end of third year, uh, a lot of those projects didn't really pan out. And we can get into it. Like, what, what, when can you expect a project to work and when can't you? It uh, has to do, a, I think, a lot with the people that you're working with and their expectations and their enthusiasm. 
um, but then ultimately approached fourth year with like really a diehard, like I want to go into hyper competitive specialty. I have four or five months and I need to do everything I can to bolster my resume and to kind of show that I'm committed to this field and compete with people that have known this for four or five, six years. So um, that was kind of like the all or nothing moment where we reached out to a whole bunch of dermatologists and a whole bunch of people got on to four or five different projects at once and really, you know, stayed up till midnight or 2 a.m. often and after clinic and just hammered through um, different research projects. So that's kind of my research journey. Any questions about that, Bobby? Uh, yeah, your monologue brought up a lot of interesting points to talk about, I think. Um, I think like one thing that you said that I definitely agree with is the idea that like it's OK, like even if you know you want to do a specific specialty, uh, it's okay to do general research in other fields during the first, you know, couple of years. Maybe you'll find something you like more and you change gears. Um, and I think as long as you start broad and then kind of narrow your focus down over time, like that's very easy to spin as like, you know, you were exploring your options and then you ultimately ended up on the specialty that you wanted to go into. So I don't, like you said, I think program directors will look at that fondly. Um, and on some level research is research, you know, obviously having stuff in your desired specialty is better and is kind of required for certain specialties, but, um, in general, I think all pretty much all research is good, um, as long as you're not wasting your time, you know, for acknowledgments or um, you know working on projects that don't end up panning out. Yeah, what do you think about? And I can dive into this a little bit as well. But how do you know when you join a, a group or a project that it's going to actually come to fruition and you're actually going to get something from it? You know? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think um, there's a few things you can do. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but uh, there's a few things you can do that can kind of help hedge your bets. I think. Uh, just setting expectations early with the uh, PI or the principal investigator, you know, the attending that you're working on the project with. Um, it's kind of, these conversations can be kind of uncomfortable to have as a medical student because you're not really used to like asking or saying like, hey, I want to do research with you, but like I'm, I need to publish or like I want to publish or do a poster or this or that. Um, but I think generally, you know, most people are pretty receptive to that. And then if they're not, then you know, like, oh, well, this person might take a while or um, not really give me what I need out of the you know, transaction, because on some level, like, you know, everybody's benefiting from this, they, they can do this research on their own, but they also benefit from you, you know, spending time to help them. So um, it's not like, it's a two way street, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, and something else you can look at is you can actually look up um, people, like just look at just search their last name in Google Scholar or in uh, PubMed, and uh, look at the types of things that they've published. And also, you know, the timeframes between publishing is somebody, you know, pumping out like four or five papers every six months, like, Maybe that's somebody you want to get involved with. Or are they doing like one big paper every decade, which is these might be high impact papers, but it doesn't matter if you're not going to be around to see it to fruition. Um, and then also just look at who they have on those papers. You know, is it just them and like a resident or do they work with medical students a lot and have they worked with them in the past? Yeah, I agree with that a lot. And I think something about their enthusiasm, like set your expectations. And at least for my psychiatric research, I saw very quickly that the PI like handed me off to somebody else. That person was much less interested in my pursuit of this research. They made very, you know, like the staggered meetings were very long in, in duration. So it would take weeks and weeks to see him again and, and make any progress. And ultimately it was like four or five months. And I was just like, this is not, this is not going to get done. Like, like I'm waiting on research. There was a stall on like the end of the statisticians and this guy really wasn't super invested in, in me. And I was really trying to do as much as I could. And ultimately I just had to like say, you know what, like, this is not worth my time. Uh, I feel like nothing's getting done. Um, as much as I'm trying. So um, really like kind of seeing very quickly just how everyone interacts with you, the enthusiasm of people uh, within your department. And I think you got to do it early. Otherwise you get, you know, too deep into it and, you know, you're five, six months into a project and now you're kind of stuck in a weird, awkward position. Yeah, I agree. I think if you're just sitting there and you feel like your wheels are turning and nothing's happening, like it's it's okay to walk away. Um, yeah. Or if, if you're not comfortable with that, you can even just look into picking up 
another project. Um, I mean, every research project kind of has its its busy times and its lulls while you're doing your part and then it gets sent off to somebody else to do like the stats portion or if you're doing a group project like, or sorry, a group research project, then you have finished your part of it and then you kind of pass it off to the next guy. Um, and so obviously that'll be the busy part and then once you kind of pass it off, you have a little bit more of a lull time. So like on some level, it's not a big deal to juggle, you know, a couple projects at a time because chances are they won't all be firing on all cylinders like at the same time. Yep, exactly. And a lot of these projects, at least what I learned in my fourth year, and then we can we can transition to kind of your experience. But in my fourth year, I learned very quickly that projects can be as simple as writing a small little editorial piece for a journal that requires a little bit of chart review, or you know, a couple case reports. Or there were some projects where I just did it myself, and then asked a resident or a fellow or an attending later. I said, hey, I wrote this whole manuscript. Like about one of them was about like dupilumab and the elderly and itch, and wrote this whole long thing, uh, not really knowing what to do with it. But I just thought like this is something interesting. This is a project that I, I'm relatively familiar with. And then I said to the resident, Hey, if I submit this to, you know, Jam and Derm or something, will you just come along with the ride? Like I'll come along for the ride. And they're like, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, the guy already wrote it all. Like I don't have to do anything. So you add their name. So there's some kind of, you know, um, I guess there's like some MD behind it or physician behind it. And then I just submitted it and it got accepted. And, um, it was just kind of something I did on my own. And it took, you know, a couple of days to write up a little bit of literature review. And that was one of like five things in a kind of a similar manner that I was all doing at once. So you don't necessarily need to like just focus on one big project. You can be working on five or six little things every now and then because there's always ebbs and flows. Right. And I think another thing to keep in mind too is uh, it's not like studying, research is not like studying where the amount of effort you put in generally correlates pretty strongly to the results that you get out. You know, if you study for 10 hours, maybe you'll get a B. And if you study for 20, you'll get an A. Both research, that isn't necessarily the case. So um, trying to find research opportunities that are both flexible in terms of scheduling, so stuff that you don't have to really be in person for, um, and then also like are just not a huge time commitment for the amount that you're hoping to get out of it is is kind of the way to go. Yep. And and the last thing I'll just say is that regarding like the enthusiasm and things finding things that you enjoy is that when it ultimately comes to interview time, there were so many interviewers that asked me about my research and about different specific projects, like very specific aspects of one or two projects. And so one, you got to know your stuff, so don't lie. But two if you enjoyed it and you're passionate about it, it will show in an interview. It won't be just like, oh yeah, that was a case report on XYZ. It was whatever. Like I basically didn't even do anything. I just like, you know, created the captions for the pictures. Like that, that does nothing for you. But like if someone asked me about my EMR research with like acne and derm and they're like, oh, how did you like help with this EMR system and, and setting this up? And it was just like something that I was like, oh, this was a cool project. And uh, we did XYZ and it was like, they made all these huge changes in the clinic and they could see that I was passionate about it. So that's just a kind of another plug for finding something that you're sincerely interested in yeah definitely you have to research with passion passion you have to play research with passion <laughs> shout out to pep guardiola anyways uh tell us about your uh, your experience kind of throughout the first couple of years and now you have a unique perspective doing research on this time off during your master's class of public health <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i unfortunately was not super lucky in my research endeavors during the first few years of med school which is a big part of why i took this year off for research but um, anyway, so during my first year, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I was always of the mindset of like kind of over prepare and then you can, you know, kind of cut back later. So I figured I might as well try and prep myself so that I would be competitive for any specialty. And so I wanted to do research. I wanted to get a few projects under my belt. Um, and everybody always said like, and this is true in hindsight, like I feel like you have a lot of free time during first year um, and it doesn't feel like it because, you know, you're adjusting to it being in a new setting. But um, compared to second year where you're busy with step and like third and fourth year where you know, you're just worn out from being on the wards all day. Um, first year, it's a good time to kind of sink your teeth into some stuff. Um, so I actually picked up a couple radiology projects and they were progressing along fine. 
and then my uh, PI got a job in private practice and just left and was like, oh, I'm not doing research anymore. Like, we're done here. Um, and I put a lot of time into that, actually, during the first year. So I was kind of disheartened. And then fortunately, over the summer, I found a um, it was through the university, actually, but it was like a QI, uh, like not really a fellowship, but like a guided internship, I guess, thing where I uh, did some QI research in the emergency department looking at uh, like agitation and psych patients. And it was pretty fulfilling work and it was good. Like it was a full they paid me and it was like a full time thing over the summer. Um, and then we actually started writing that one up as well. And then that attending also ended up getting poached to a private practice job. Um, and then second year kind of hit and I was like, well, I've done, I've spent all this time trying to do research and I don't have anything to show for it. And like step is looming. So I'm just going to focus on that and kind of figure it out later. Um, and so that's what I did. And then, you know, after step, I got to third year and there have been a few opportunities, but stuff has also just kind of been slow to move. Um, there's been like one or two plastic surgery projects that I was on that just like nothing has really happened with um, and stuff like that. And so as the end of third year was looming, I kind of decided like, well, I'm interested in a, I decided to do interventional radiology, right? Which is like an extremely competitive specialty and more or less demands, you know, field specific research. So I figured I would just take this year off. And then since then, you know, I mean, having the research year and getting the MPH, I mean, the MPH, it's, you know, it's a master's class, as some might say. Um, so there's plenty to do with that from like a time commitment standpoint, but it's still kind of nothing in comparison to a third year or the first two years in terms of how much time it takes. So I've been fortunate and then I have had um, a ton of time to do just research on the side. So I actually have a couple projects going on right now with the uh, interventional radiology department looking at uh, segmentation using machine learning. And then I also have a couple projects with the neurosurgery department looking at um, outcomes after spinal surgery. So, and like I said, I mean, they're both you know, kind of busy research projects, but they're neither of them are really that busy at the same time. So it's been no problem kind of juggling them. So we talked about kind of how some people go about like, you know, using the internet, uh, clinicaltrials.gov to find trials or to find research projects. How did, how did you, and ultimately how do you recommend people during their third year, like find those projects that make the most sense? Mm -hmm. So I think, um, it, so at least for me, like my school has like research um secretaries or i don't know what the correct term is people in charge of research for each department that will like put medical students in contact with um you know people in the department that are interested in doing research with students and so that's kind of a, a good starting place um and then during third year it's pretty easy to just like ask residents that you click with or even just ask attendings like hey are you doing research like is there any projects that you think uh you could use some help with and that would be like feasible for a medical student to do that can be done in like a reasonable time frame and then, you know, have them tell you, you know, what they have kind of cooking or like what they potentially would want to do. And then just if it seems like it's feasible and it seems like it's not a super big time commitment, then hop on board. And if not, just say, oh, thanks. It just sounds like I'm not going to be able to to, you know, do that with you and then kind of move on. And, you know, medicine, as much as we like to think of it as a meritocracy, which I think it is more so compared to some other fields, still um, at the end of the day, it really comes down to like who, you know, it's all about who, you know, in terms of finding projects and stuff like that, so. Definitely, and I can just say from my own experience, there's no way that I would have, you know, gotten into the residency program that I got had gotten into had I not created those connections early on. There's no way I would have gotten the research projects had I not created those connections early on, advocated for myself, something I emphasized in the last episode in just pursuing a field, but also for research, uh, really just putting yourself out, out there, you know, creeping at the edge of your comfort zone. There were times where I, I was going to the apartments and the homes of like dermatologists of the community that I never knew. And I was doing it to have like, just like a 30 minute conversation with them to see if there's anything I could do to help them. 
Um, but that opened the doors to four or five different away rotations, and ultimately one of those away rotations was my number one. And the only reason I even got, you know, an interview there was because of the people I met during that rotation as well. So it just, it seems like a snowball effect or a butterfly effect, but it's crazy how one or two small interactions can snowball into ultimately you getting uh, kind of your dream residency or um, the project that you wanted or whatever you may desire. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's not even the people that you would expect, like the program directors and stuff. It can just be some some random person in the department that, you know, ends up advocating for you. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. Then they end up, you know, kind of walking up the chain and putting you into contact with the right people. And then there you go. You're set. That's a great point. There was a resident that was at my home institution. I'd never met him. I just befriended him and he was like a nice guy. And, and lo and behold, I, I talked to him one day and I said, hey, I, I'm just starting to think about Durham. And, um, if you have any projects, let me know. And he ended up being like this research powerhouse of a resident. He's like, oh yeah, I have a couple of things that's actually going to submit like tomorrow and next week. I'll just add your name onto them. Just do this for me. And then a week later, he's like, oh, and I'm going to do these two projects. Like uh, they've been kind of cooking, but if you want to finish them, finish them. So I got two more projects from him. And then a month later, he's like, oh, this research article came out. I want to like create a response for that. Uh, if you want to help me, uh, you know, let's do it. I was like in Ibiza at that point. I was kind of like in Ibiza with my family. I was actually kind of sick. I had a pneumonia, but I was like, of course I'll do this. So like I was on the beach in Ibiza on my computer. Uh, like coughing up a lung, uh, writing this research kind of response for him. But it all stemmed from just creating that first introduction with the resident. Damn, I bet Avicii would have loved that. Avicii would have loved it. All right, and in regards to research and how it relates to applications and residency, I think it's important to cover that as well. Uh, what were you just saying, Bobby, about uh, getting the most bang out of your buck regarding the research experiences? Yeah, so, you know, sometimes research is like lemons. And uh, when life gives you lemons, you really got to squeeze them. So... Um, on ERAS, which is, you know, the application for residency, it's not necessarily uh, set up just for papers. It's actually set up for just research, quote unquote, experiences. And so say you write a paper and you submit it, that counts as a research experience. But then if you also do a, make a poster out of it and then present it at a conference, that counts. And then a abstract also counts. So technically speaking, you can get three, um, you know, research experiences just from one project if you're otherwise kind of hurting for research. Right. So research, it's, it's weird because in ERAS, there are a couple of different sections, so it's a little confusing. But at, during one portion of ERAS, you talk about your experiences and experiences can be like anything you've done, kind of like Bobby said, like if you've done something as simple as a presentation, something as simple as like a something with your medical school class, maybe it was required by your medical school class, like a QI project. You can put that as a research experience and you'll have a nice little um, kind of paragraph or a couple sentences to discuss that. And some of the more competitive specialties, I'm looking at the match data right now from the NRMP. Um, for example, what I'm seeing as the highest are neurologic surgery and otolaryngology, ENT. Both of those, the average matched applicant, that's a US MD senior, had 6.1 research experiences. But I guarantee you not, each, not every one of those was like, you know, a clinical trial or a published paper. A lot of those were probably presentations, posters, et cetera, et cetera, just kind of filler. Yeah, something so else to keep in mind, sorry, yeah. sorry to cut you off. Something to keep in mind with those numbers as well is people, that also includes, yours. you are allowed to, and it's encouraged to put... Um, research experiences from like undergrad as well as if you took like an MD PhD um, and so and like neurosurgery is a especially that has a lot of PhDs in it I think disproportionately more so than some other fields so that can also kind of be falsely elevating the numbers yep definitely and radiation oncology is a similar thing where you can see these match results right now you see neurosurgery otolaryngology plastic surgery dermatology and radiation oncology are like the four five pillars that really just like shoot up. Oh, and interventional radiology is the one right after that. So you have like yeah. six pillars that are just significantly higher. And a lot of that has to do with a huge skew of people that are MD, PhDs. I, at least I know from my own experience, uh, being part of that Reddit, um, 
spreadsheet for the dermatology match group of 2020 there were some and people you know they list their experiences and their step scores and blah 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 how many places they got interviews and in, just so everyone can kind of see everyone else's progress i mean there were people in there with 60 70 80 research publications uh, posters blah 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 so there's a huge skew sometimes with these md phds as well as even some people that take a year off um, so always something to consider so that's one section the mean number of research experiences and i would say i, I probably had five or six which is very much like average um, and I did perfectly fine. And I know people that uh, pursued very competitive fields that were below average and did perfectly fine. So it's not an end all, you know, it's not gonna make or break you necessarily if you have um, a standard deviation lower. It might hurt a little bit, but it's not gonna be like the reason you shouldn't pursue a field. And then you have the other part of your ERAS application, which is you just listing every single abstract presentation publication. And this is where the numbers can get really high. I mean, I'm looking at the charting outcomes right now. The average matched neurosurgery applicant had 23.4 abstract presentations or publications versus the unmatched, which was 11. The next highest looks, it seems to be plastic surgery, then dermatology, then radiation oncology, and then orthopedic surgery. And so again, take those with a grain of salt. You're saying 23.4 abstract presentations and publications. That's a lot. And that's, that's the average. So that means, you know, 50% of people that matched had more than that. So that's just something to think about. It, it, it's definitely important. And if you're considering a hyper-competitive field, you should be realistic and look at these scores. But that being said, don't think this is everything. And if you end up being, you know, at the 15, 11, whatever, you're, you're a little lower than the average, that's perfectly fine. I'll use my own example uh, and I'll stop rambling. But dermatology seems to have the average number of abstracts, presentations, and publications is 19 for the matched and 11 for the unmatched or 10.8 for unmatched. I think I had 14, I think, 13 or 14 by the time I, I submitted my application. So right in the middle of those two. So I was definitely in the lower 50%. But like I said, there were people there with 80, 70 publications that are skewing that number so significantly up that at the end of the day, who knows how realistic these numbers are in a practical sense when it comes down to just the human and the individual. Yeah, it sounds like maybe they should be using the median instead of the mean. Since it's yeah, less that would be interesting. To outliers. Right. That's a little uh, MPH masterclass knowledge for you guys. Oh, there you go. The masterclass. That was for free. My name is Bobby and this is my masterclass. Yeah. I mean, you know, applications are multifactorial. If you have a deficiency compared to the average in one aspect, you just have to make up for it in the others. So, you know, if you don't have a ton of research, but you got a bang step score and you, you know, are on a, in a whole bunch of volunteering and other stuff, like you'll probably be fine and vice versa. All right, guys, that is it for today's podcast regarding the clinical pearl of research. If you have any questions, concerns, if you're curious about anything we didn't cover regarding research, shoot us a message. Bobby knows our uh, Instagram. What is it, Bobby? Why do you always have to put me on the spot like this? It's uh, <laughs> USMLE underscore buzzwords. USMLE underscore buzzwords. That's the English version. And what's the French version? USMLE underscore buzzwords. Yeah, and if you're, for some reason, if you're at M1 or M2 and are interested in our experience prior to the clinical rotation, since we didn't really touch on that too much, feel free to reach out to us. We can kind of dive into that and talk about how we got uh, starting research early on, maybe what we recommend over the summer, as well as the changes that we can expect as step one becomes pass-fail. Anything else to add, Bobby? Uh, no, I think that's it. I think we should probably talk about the whole step one going pass-fail at some point, though. So definitely, it definitely. will definitely make research more important. So, All right, guys, take care. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.